to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 is where we're going to be camped out here this morning. And if you've been with us over the last five weeks, we've taken this, this big like overview survey of the book of Deuteronomy. And we've studied through 30 not, 34 chapters in five weeks which is not our style at all. Uh, so we've just done like an overview survey. And now what we're going to do is we're going to slow down for the next three weeks. And we're going to be camped out in Deuteronomy chapter six. We're going to see what it is that we're going to understand. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6. We're going to study that. And then at the end of the series, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 32. Um, but like Deuteronomy 6 is where we're going to be for the next, next three weeks. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 today. That's where we're going to be focusing our attention. And so go ahead and, and flip there in your Bible so we can be ready to, to walk through our text together. But as you do, I saw this video that, that came up on, on my Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I just found this video to be fascinating. It's from Brazil, so I'm going to play the video for you. We're going to watch it twice. So I just want you to kind of see what happens here in the video, and then I'll kind of give us a little bit of, of running commentary, one of my, my deep desires of life to be a commentator, uh, so I can get to do that for us here. So go ahead and check out this video. <coughs> All right, so we're going to watch it again, give a little bit of commentary about what, what's going on here, what's transpiring here. So as, so as the video starts, people are running by, and we don't know whether the Avengers have landed or, or what's going to happen, whether there's been some kind of tragedy that's going on, but people just begin to take off and they start running. Maybe there's been an accident or a bomb that's gone off. This is in Brazil, and people just begin to, to start running. This is a restaurant where people are eating outside that has began to clear out as people running away. Your guy here at the bottom, he's not really in a hurry, but he grabs his wife's purse, which is great for him, uh, and just starts making his way out. So what started as this outdoor dining experience turns into just this empty, empty dining area. And maybe as you, you see that video, like my thought was like, okay, something tragic had to have happened. Perhaps it was like a car bomb. Or maybe there's some kind of like assassination attempt that happened. You guys actually want to know what happened? Really? What caused this mass exodus of people? There's a CrossFit gym down the block. And there's just people who came out of the CrossFit gym and just were running past the restaurant. They were just doing their exercise, just jogging by. But when they saw what was happening, when the people saw that, they got up and they started running away and they left their food. They leave this restaurant and they just go jogging after the, the CrossFitters who are, who are running down the road. Like, it's a true story. Like, it's insane. It's like, who does that? I mean, I guess that's one way to dine and dash, I suppose. But like, who does that, Right. I think that's a really good metaphor, a really good example of, of what we are as people, is we are people who are easily led. We are people who, who kind of go astray kind of easily. We are people who, who begin to walk away, who, who see this like ADD, like something shiny begin to float by, and we just start chasing it and running after that. And, and these, are, these are us. As we've read through the book of Deuteronomy, we can clearly see this is the people of Israel. And we set up the principle a couple of premise a couple of weeks ago that, that we are them. Like, this is us. And so in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is speaking to the people, and he says this in verse 12. Listen to what he says. He says, Be careful 
not to forget the Lord. Because they're about to go into the land that God has promised them. And Israel is so rebellious, Israel is such a mess, that they are so easily led astray. When crossfitters run by, they go and chase after them. And Moses is saying, don't forget, don't forget the Lord when you get into this land. And then in verse 14, he says, you must not worship any of the gods in the neighboring nations. And Moses knows. Moses knows the issue with these people. He knows how easily they're led astray. He knows how easily they, be, they could begin to go and chase after other gods. He understands this. He knows this to be true. He knows that, that this is us. Now, this is a very real temptation that we all face to, to just start chasing after, to going after other things. And, and this is where Moses is. And God knows us all too well. And so the book of Deuteronomy is a reminder about the commands that God has for his people. The book of Deuteronomy is, is a list of commands and regulation and calling people to this different life that they are to live. And our text starts this way. I want to make sure we catch this first one. And, and my Bible is getting like rebound. So I actually have like a piece of paper with my Bible text on it. It feels really odd. Uh, so, um, but first one, here's what it says. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So he starts out, chapter 6, he's telling us, here's the commands, here's the rules, here's the regulations. And here's what I want to make sure we begin to understand as we start this, this idea, is that God's commands are a testament to his goodness, aimed at keeping us from descending into chaos and disaster. And I don't often think we think of God's commands that way. Like when we read through the commands, we read through the Bible, we see some of these things that God says, like we just, maybe we don't see them as, as a, a testament of God's goodness. No, sometimes I think we look at them and think, okay, these are, these are something that God just want, doesn't want me to have, doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to, as a Jew, doesn't want us to eat bacon, like whatever it may be, like we just start looking at these commands as something that is restrictive and burdensome. But the reality is, God's commands, they are aimed at keeping us from descending into chaos and disaster. They are a testament to the goodness that God has for you. They are life-giving. Like, just imagine what would happen in life if you believed the views of the Bible. What, if, what would happen, what would change in your life if you took God's commands and His, His regulation and His decrees and you said that, Maybe they're actually aimed at keeping us from disaster. What if we decided that what God's design for family was actually better? Think about the disaster that could happen or be avoided in the lives of us or the lives of other people if we trusted God's design. What if we trusted God's design for, for love or for sex or relationships? Think about the disaster, the chaos, the pain that could be avoided if we trusted God there. What if we trusted God in the way that he, he wants us to, to view our work? That our work is no longer just about making money or, or getting promotions or being important, but, a, but about ways that we can, we can live out his mission. What if we trusted him and we viewed his regulations and these decrees and these laws as ways to safeguard our lives from chaos and disaster? Because that's what we're seeing here in the book of Deuteronomy. God is laying out these laws. He's laying out these things so that he can help safeguard his people, so that he can help protect them from the chaos that, that ensues so when we walk away from from God's decrees and God's demands. 
So our, our text starts in verses 1 through 3. Here's what Moses says. He says, These are the commands, decrees, regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all these commands and decrees, we are, you will enjoy a long life. Listen carefully, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you, and your, and you will have many children in the land with, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Did you guys catch the common thread? Did you catch the word that popped up in every single verse? What was it? You guys catch that? You must obey them. If you obey, be careful to obey. Three times in three verses, we start seeing this idea, this principle of obedience begin to pop up. And so what we see in the book of Deuteronomy is the cry and the call of Deuteronomy is to obey God's commands. This is the call. This is the, this is the cry of the book is for us to obey God's commands, to do the things that God is calling us to do. And if we are going to operate under the premise that God's commands are actually safeguarding us, if we're going to believe that, then his commands, then obeying his commands are actually a, a gift of grace. And these commands are actually, in, in his deep generosity, he has given them to us. Because the reality is, God knows, God knows best. God is the creator of the world, and we can trust him to know how the world works best. And so as we begin this discussion on obedience, the first thing I think we need to answer is, is what is obedience? Now, when I ask that question, I don't think any of you are really like sweating it out. Like, I hope he doesn't call on me to answer what that is. I think most of us can say, okay, we know what obedience is. Obedience is, is doing the right thing or, or doing, doing what you're told, right? Like, it's not a terribly hard answer for us to, to, us to answer. If you had that in a quiz, you'd get that right, probably. Like, that's not one we're really terribly worried about. Like, your, your, your boss says, go and pick up coffee for the, for the office. What is obedience? You go and pick up coffee for the office. Your, your parent says, clean up your room. What is obedience? You clean up your room. Like, it's, it's pretty simple of a concept. It's not one that's, we're not really stressing. We're not really like biting our fingers in fear that we're not going to get that question right because we kind of begin to understand what obedience is. But what we're going to find as we study Deuteronomy 6 is actually we're going to get a much deeper view of what obedience is. We're going to, get a, we're going to be able to see a little bit more and a little bit fuller of a picture that's going to happen with obedience. But when we think of obedience, we typically, we typically think of doing what you're told to do. So what I want us to think about is a, a game of Simon Says. Anybody, everybody know how to play Simon Says? Great, we're going to do it right now together. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Just a refresher of people, if you don't know how to play Simon Says, there's, I'm going to give a command, and if I start it by saying Simon Says, you do it. If this command doesn't start with Simon Says, you don't do it. All right, we're going to let you stay in your seats. So Simon Says, pat your head. Simon Says, put your hands on your lap. Simon Says, put your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. All right, if you're waving them like you just don't care, Simon didn't say that. All right, okay, so Simon says, put your hands down. Simon says, put your hands up again. Simon says, how, say hallelujah. hallelujah. We're getting real Pentecostal in here today, guys. So, like, all right, like, so this, Simon says, put your hands down. Hug the person next to you. If you hug the person next to you, Simon didn't say. All right. 
Mark and Rob both were just really excited to hug their wives. They're like, I don't care. Simon says it. I'm doing it anyway. All right. Good man. But here's the thing. Like a lot of times, like Simon says, congratulations, you guys did great. All right. But a lot of times, this is how we think of obedience, right? Like, okay, Simon says, then I'll do. We can replace it with God says. Okay, then I'll, I'll do it. I might not want to hug the person next to me, but you said so, so I might as well do it. And so we begin to think that this is what it looks like to, to obey. And in part, that's true. And so what I want us to do, though, is not really focus on what is obedience. Because I think that answer, or what to, how to obey, like I think that answer for the most part is pretty simple. We all kind of grasp at the more difficult and the more pressing question for us is how to obey. I think that's the issue. That's the one that we have to really deal with. It's not just what is obedience, but how do we obey? And this is what we're going to do as we, this is what we're going to be studying as we dive through the first part of, of Deuteronomy 6. And maybe for you, when you think about how to obey, your thinking is like, all right, I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to white knuckle it, and I'm just going to do what I'm told to do. Even if I don't like it, I am just going to suffer through, and I am going to obey. Maybe that's what you think when you think of how, you, how you're going to obey. And, and the problem with that is, well, a few things. One is it actually doesn't change anything within us. It doesn't change our desires. It doesn't change our loves, but it leads to resentment and, to, and bitterness. I think we all can can talk and see, I've seen relationships that way where like there was no growing in love and desires that, that loving each other and doing the things that called in, in a relationship, it just led to this bitterness and resentment and it's ugly, right? And so that's one of the problems with just this, okay, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm just going to dry my best and work really hard to try to obey. That's one problem. Another problem is it's exhausting and it's enslaving, it's, which is the opposite of what Jesus called us to. It's not just like, it's, it's this idea of like, okay, did, have I done enough? Did I obey enough? Why is obeying so hard? Like, why do I want to do so many wrong things? And, and we just struggle through, we work through those things. And here's the final thing, is eventually our willpower is going to run out. At the end of the day, our willpower to obey, to gritting our teeth, toughing it out, it is uh, it's going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade. It's going to fail. It's going to run out. Last weekend, I, I ran a half marathon, and I had, I had heard, um, I've heard some stories from runners. I've done some reading on runners doing distance running, and they always talk about the wall, like hitting this wall where like physically you just can't go any farther. And I've heard people talk about this, and I've, I've heard about it, and in my hubris, my thought was like, yeah, you're just weak-minded, bro. You're, you're not tough enough. Like if you were strong enough, you trained hard, you wouldn't hit this wall. And, and that's what I thought. And so I had this experience last week for the first time. I was at um, kilometer 18, only three more kilometers left, and I hit a wall. I literally felt like there was like concrete in my shoes, and I was like looking down, and I was like, am, am my feet moving? I'm not really sure. And I was just like going, and so I pulled out my, my phone, and I'm like changing, I got it's like, okay, I gotta get something upbeat. I gotta change my music, I gotta, I gotta do something. And I take out like this power drink that I have, and I'm like drinking it, and I'm trying for the next like half kilometer to get myself going, and, and nothing. Like, I look at my watch to see my time, and I'm literally running an eight-minute kilometer, which is basically a fast walk. And I just, like, it was this moment. I was like, all right, Luke, I guess this is the wall. And I kept trying, and I kept trying, but my willpower ran out. Finally, I had to stop, and I had to walk, had to catch my breath, had to get my feet out from under me. And I just remember, like, this humiliating thought of seeing people run past me that I had, like, passed already, and just having this moment of just, like, 
willpower isn't enough. Like my training wasn't good enough. That's why I hit this. Or like I was, I was exhausted, like, but willpower wasn't enough. I tried to will myself to keep running. I was willing to go through the pain. I was running through the exhaustion. It just wasn't happening. And I think we can all kind of have these moments of these experiences in our lives where like willpower just isn't enough. And this is the, the premise that we are going to operate under today is that willpower isn't enough that something fundamental inside of us has to change. If we are going to obey, there has to be some change within us. There has to be a fundamental shift going on inside of us. I want you to just think about this idea. So you're at home, you've got your, you've got your cup of tea, and then sitting all out in front of you are a bunch of biscuits or sweets, all right? But you're on a diet. And so you're just sitting there, you got your cup of tea, and those biscuits, what do they start doing? They start calling your name, right? Hey, Luke, how's it going, man? I'm pretty sure I'm going to be delicious. Like, have you guys been there? Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm hearing voices. I don't know. But like, this is this, this fool. And like, I just like, I don't even think I'm doing it, but I just feel like my arm began to stretch out. And I'm like, next thing I know, I'm like, ate like eight biscuits. Like, what just happened? Like, what went on? And like, I think a lot of times this is what we think about, right? We think about willpower. We think about obeying. It's like, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be strong enough not to eat these biscuits. My wife, Tiffany, she's a really good baker. And I don't care how full I am, how much I have already eaten, how, what type of diet I am. If she makes chocolate chip cookies and she puts them out, I am going to eat them all of them. And it's like, because here's the truth, like my willpower is not going to be enough. Something fundamental has to change. I have to stop sitting the biscuits out in front of me. I've got to stop being around the chocolate chip cookies. I can't just stand there with a donut sitting in front of me telling myself, don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it. Like it's not going to work. And we start to see this happen in our own lives, right? When it comes to obeying, Something has to change within us. We, we aren't just strong enough to will ourselves to obedience. There's change that needs to happen. As we study Deuteronomy 6, we're going to see some of the things that change within us, that kind of help us to obey. So we're going to talk about our habits and our rituals, the things that we do each day to help change our, our habits. We're going to talk about our, the stories that we're believing, the songs that we're listening to. We're going to go through these. And so as we read through the book of Deuteronomy, as we read through Deuteronomy 6, we've already said how we've seen how there's three different times the word obey pops up in the first three verses. It comes up a total of seven times in Deuteronomy 6. And perhaps you have a different translation of the Bible. Maybe you don't have the, the, the New Living Translation. This week I actually read through the King James Version. And they don't translate the word obey, but here's what they say. I, I think these words are helpful for us. They use the word ye might do. To keep, to do, and I like this one especially, ye shall diligently keep. Here's this idea of obedience. And is anybody in here reading a Hebrew Bible? Nobody? Nobody's reading in Hebrew? Me either. All right, so here's the, here's, if you're not reading your Hebrew Bible, here's what you need to know. Is there are actually three different words that are translated obey in our text. Three different Hebrew words for, for obey are used in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's, there's also which is found in verse 1, 3, and 24. That's the word also, which is like to do, to be done. There's the word shamar, which is in verses 2, 17, and 25, which is like to observe and, and to be. 
And then there's Saul wash, which is command to appoint, and that's in verse 20. But the primary two that is used is all Saul and Shamar. These are the two, these are two that we see. And so all Saul, this is about this process of being, like being made, being formed, being made in, in, in this way. And then there's Shamar, which is all about diligent doing. I find it fascinating that the word shamar is actually the root word of where we get the word watchman. So this, here's this idea of obedience, diligently watching, diligently paying attention, diligently being on guard against the things that are going on. And so this is what we're talking about when we, we start to put these words together, we start to understand the full picture of obedience in Deuteronomy 6. What we find is obedience is not just a doing, but a being. It's not just doing the right thing, it's being the right thing. It's this transformational process that's begin to happen within us. We don't just do, it's not just actions anymore, but attitudes. It's not just doing the right things, but it's being the right thing. No longer is it about just gritting our teeth and having the willpower to try to do what is right, to try to obey, but, but it's this moment of out of the overflow of what God has done for us, out of the overflow of our hearts, what, the way God has transformed us, we begin to obey. And I think verses 5 and 6 really kind of help us to get a picture of what this looks like because he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all, the strength, all your strength. You must commit yourselves. This is what obedience flows out of. Our heart, our soul, our strength. Notice this. It's physically. It's spiritually. It's emotionally. It's everything that begins to happen. It's not just this physical willpower. It's the spiritual, this emotional change that begins to happen within us. And so in order for us to be framed, in order for us to be formed, to be people who, are, who overflow out of obedience, it takes, a, it takes intentionality. We've got to be really intentional about doing this. So I just want us to think about a few questions as we talk about intentionality together. Let me just ask you, how are you spending your days? How are you spending your days? Are they helping you be people who overflow obedience? Or, or not? What are you intentional with during your days? Let me just ask a better question. What are the non-negotiables for your days? It's like I think about my family. The non-negotiables, we're, we're going to pray together every single day. We're going to start out by having our God time with one another. My own life, before I do anything else on my phone, I'm going to read my Bible. These are non-negotiables. These are things that aren't going to change. I'm not going to be gone at bedtime more than one time a week. These are non-negotiables in my life. These are non-negotiables in my family. What are your non-negotiables? What are the things that will not change in your life? Are they things that are forming you into be people of obedience? Are you, are you, are you intentional? Because as we begin to dive into Deuteronomy 6 as a whole, what we're going to find out, friends, is that we cannot rely solely on the church to be the spiritual voice of our lives. You guys show up here once a week, twice a week if we come to community groups. Depending on how long we speak, about three hours a week. That's not enough. We need more. So we have to be intentional about, about the voices that we're speaking. What are the things, the non-negotiables in our lives, the things that we are, are bringing ourselves to make sure that we are obedient? 
as a family, as, as people who, let me, let me talk to us who, who have kids for a minute. It is our job to be speaking the counter message of the gospel to our kids every single day, all day long. This is our responsibility as a parent. Let me, let me pick on us for a second. If we can teach our kids to keep their eye on the ball or the eye on the road, but not to keep their eyes on Christ, we have failed as parents. If I can teach my kid to play follow the leader, but not follow the Lord, I have failed as a parent. This is our responsibility. This is the call. He says, talk about this every single day. When you get up, when you go to sleep, when you're walking down the road, spend your life pouring into this. Now, maybe you're sitting here. Thank you, Luke. I don't have kids. Woo, I'm free. No, you're not. Okay, because the call of Deuteronomy 6 is that every single one of us have been invited into, into this family. Every single one of us have been invited into, into doing this for, for people, to come in alongside people that are entrusted to us and help pour in the message of the gospel, pour in the truth about Jesus. Scientific, or scientifically and research shows that kids who remain faithful to the faith are those who have family who are teaching them the message, but the primary difference is they have a non-family member come alongside them and, and share the gospel to them and be, hold them accountable and walk with them along the way. So if you don't have kids, or even if you do have kids and there's somebody else's kids that are entrusted to you, like this is your job. As a, as a family, as a followers of Jesus, this is what we do. I don't know if, if you guys know this about our children's ministry. Perhaps you know who's upstairs with your kids. Maybe, maybe you don't. It's, it's Rebecca and it's Blake, two single people who are up teaching your kids about Jesus. Half of the people who, who show up and help in our kids' ministry, they don't have kids. They are there because they take it really seriously about what Jesus is calling us to do, what God is calling us to do in Deuteronomy 6, to give this, for, this foundational truth about, about the gospel to them. Like, I don't have family in, in Ireland, but I, my girls have a lot of, like, adopted aunts and uncles who I know and who I trust to speak truth into their lives and to be there, come alongside them and help them in this. And so this is what, what the call is, is that we are intentional with this. And guys, if we're not intentional in our own families and with people surrounding us, you know what's going to happen? Deuteronomy 5, 9 says the consequences will fall on their children and their children's children in the third and fourth generations. It's like when we fail at this, the, the lives of, of people, the trajectory of our children's lives, they begin to be altered and they start to change and there's a train wreck that begins to happen. So we have to take this seriously. And this is this call of, of Deuteronomy 6. It's all about intentionality, being intentional with these things, making sure that we're doing that. And so I think the question too is, is why do we obey? Why do we, why do, we do this? Like it's, the answer isn't because God wants to control us. That's, that's not why we obey. The answer to why we obey isn't just because we, God's people wants, he wants his people to be different. Although that's certainly true. That's not all of it. That's not the only reason we obey. The reason we obey is real simple. Obedience is better. And I think if we could believe this to be true, our lives would, would completely change. If we actually believe that God, the creator of the universe, knew what was best for us and knew how things worked best and that obedience was better, like our lives would completely change. Like even just look at the text, look at the end of verse two. 
It says, if you obey all these decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Obedience is better. Look at verse 3. It says, be careful to obey, then all will go well with you. Look at verse 18. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. And so Jesus or Moses is reminding the people that obedience is better. And it's not only just this idea that obedience leads to blessing, but it's this, this idea of when we obey, we become what we were always meant to be. When we live the way that Jesus does, we become the people that we were always meant to be. We, we live, we find the true and the better way to be human. We find that we live the way that we were designed to live. And life just works better when we live in this rhythms that, that God has set up for us in his word. And so God is offering the Israelites and he's offering us not, not blind obedience, but, the, but this call is for, for obedience that changes us. It's, it's of great benefit. Man, I just think spiritually about our lives. Just think about the benefits that would happen in your life if you committed to every single day reading God's word. Or if every single day before you got on social media to hear what, the social media, or hear what social media says about you, you opened up God's word to see what God says about you. How, how would your life be benefited? How would it change? What if instead of listening to talk radio, you turned on a podcast or, or worship music and let that begin to sink into your soul and, and change who you are? What if instead of just like scrolling mindlessly, you were, you were intentional about spending our your time in, in prayer and in, in the word of God? Like, look what would change in all of our lives if we began to do this. Like, the changes would be amazing. One of the spiritual disciplines that, that we've, we've added into our lives over the last few months has been, has been taking the Sabbath. And I was really hesitant to do this because, like, I'm a, I'm a doer. I like working. I like doing stuff. I don't rest well. And, but it's like, reading through the scriptures, like, okay, this is something we're going to do. And, like, it is literally now my favorite day of the week. Like, I can't wait for Thursday to come around so that, like, we can have this time to rest. So we can have this time to spend in God's word. So we can have this time to be rejuvenated. And we begin to see, like, actually when we obey that it's, just, it's better that our lives begin to flow the way that God wants us to be. Friends, have you ever felt like there was more to life than what you're currently living? You ever felt empty? You ever felt like your life just isn't what it, you wished it would be? If so, try being obedient. Try following what God calls you to do and see if there's any changes that begin to happen in your life because this is the way to true joy to true satisfaction and so as we begin to read verses four through six it gives us a framework of what an obedient life looks like here's what verse four says it says listen O israel the lord your god the lord is your god the lord alone so oftentimes in, in my house if i'm having a moment when i'm trying to talk to my girls like i'll, I'll say hey ava listen to me or emma emma listen and what I'm saying to them is not, hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, make sure you hear them and walk away and do whatever you want. No, what I'm saying is, hey, listen, so that you can do what I'm telling you to do. 
Listen so that you can act the way that you're supposed to act. So when I call my girls to listen, it's not just I want you to hear my lovely or annoying voice, whatever it is at the time. It's not that I want you to hear that. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. And when the Bible talks about listening, it's not just with our ears, but with our hearts and our hands. So when the Bible says in verse 4, it says, listen, O Israel. It's not just like, okay, make sure you've got your listening ears turned on. Make sure they're ready to go. No, it's like, make sure your heart is ready. Make sure your hands are ready to take what, we're, what God is telling us to do. And I think James 1, 27, or James 1, yeah, 1 verse 27 gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be people of obedience, people who, who listen not only with our, or with our ears, but with our hearts and our hands. It says, true and genuine religion in the sight of God is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need and not let the world corrupt you. This is, if we're really going to be people who obey, if we're really going to be people who listen, it's not just going to, we're not just going to know a lot of stuff, but it's going to flow out of our hands. It's going to fly and flow out of our hearts, and we're going to start to, to do the things that we are called to do. And so the first call is listen. But then he says, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. And I think it's really important for us to understand like these concepts of, of why we obey, why we listen, why we allow our hands to move is because the Lord is the Lord alone. It's because he is God. And if we know that the Lord is Lord alone, we won't be tempted to chase after other gods or, or to obey other things around us. Like if we truly tr believe that God is the Lord alone, we're not going to have to worry about what well, the world says we're going to be able to trust him. If God alone is king, we know that he has what's our best interest in mind. He knows we're the one that he can trust. And so verses 4 through 9, they're actually, in, in Hebrew, this is, this is the Shema. So our, our Jewish friends, this would be what, what they would pray every morning before 9 o'clock and every evening before 9 o'clock. Verses 4 through, through 9, it's, it's the Shema. And it's centered on verse 5. This is what verse 5 says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I think this is really significant for us. Is that every single day, every Jew, twice a day, would have to recite the Shema. They'd, they'd say this. Like, why, did, why is that important? Because of the intentionality there. It's saying things. It's, it's the repetitiveness of it. It's, it's continuing to say things again and again and again. Why, do, why is, why is a ritual and, and repeating and repetition, why is that important? Because it begins to sink in deeply into our hearts and our minds and our soul. When we repeat these things, we say these things over and over again, it begins to seek into us. Now the Shema could have become this lifeless ritual, but it's this beautiful thing that begins to sink into them that they start to believe these things to be true about God. Just think of some of the things that we do at church that are, are, are repetitive. Every single week, we say the Lord's Prayer together. And, and you probably know a little bit different version, so maybe you do have to look at the screen. But for the most part, it's begun to, to sink into us because we believe that prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray forms, our, forms us to be the people that God desires us to be. So we pray that every single week. Every single week at the end of service, we say the grace, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13, 14. If you've been coming at any period of time at all, you probably don't even have to look at the screen anymore, right? Because it sinks deeply into our psyches. It sinks into our, our being. And this is, this is the power 
of, of repetitiveness. It's the power of, of repetition. And so when the Jew would do this, when the Jew would say this prayer time and time again, this is what, it was, this is what they were doing. They were allowing these truths about God to, to be soaking into them. It's intentionality. It's being intentional about hearing these things. And he goes on and he writes in verse 6, he says, You must commit yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. The only way to truly and really obey is to do so wholeheartedly. Because if we are going to half-heartedly obey, are we really obeying? No. If we only partly, part-heartedly obey, are we obeying? No. We're, we're disobeying more than we're obeying. So the only way to obey is to do so wholeheartedly. And this word wholeheartedly is a really fascinating word. It's used 47 times in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. But when it's used, what it's talking about is this all-encompassing idea. It's your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, the inner person, the very essence of who you are. This is what it's saying to obey. Is you, it encompasses everything, all of you. There's an there's a equivalent in the New Testament Greek. It's the word teleos which is, is uh, what Jesus uses in Matthew 5. He says, be perfect as I am perfect. It's be teleos as I am teleos. And that's this idea of wholeheartedly devoted, fully committed. And this is what God is calling us to, is to, to obey him wholeheartedly and to be fully committed to him. And I don't know about you, but as I look around our world, I don't see many examples of wholehearted devotion. I don't, I don't see that a whole lot. Even to our sports teams at times, we switch so quickly. They have a bad few bad seasons, and it's like, okay, they're not my team anymore. I'm not going to shout for them anymore. We see this in, in marriages that, that come and go, relationships come and go. Whole, wholehearted devotion really isn't a, a thing that we see much anymore. But it's the way of the kingdom. It's the way that, that Jesus calls us to be. And I just have to wonder... That wasn't my kid. <clears throat> it, it was. But I, ha- I have to wonder, what would happen in our part of the world if as a church we committed to being wholeheartedly obedient to God? I just have to think, what are the needs that could be met? What, are the ho- what hope could be provided to a hopeless world? What revival could happen in our area of the world if we were a group of people who were wholeheartedly devoted, wholeheartedly faithful, wholeheartedly committed to this, to following Jesus? Like, what could happen in our lives? And here's the reality. Like, wholehearted devotion isn't a thing that we see very often. And in verse 20, what we're going to see is is people are going to ask some questions about this. Verse 20 says, In the future, your children, catch that word, will ask. Not maybe will ask or quite possibly could ask. No, it says you, they, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, regulation that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? When we live as a people who are wholeheartedly devoted, the world is going to take notice. And we are going to have a moment, we are going to have opportunities to share about the way that God has been good to us. Because Moses replies, when people ask, when your kids ask, You tell them what God has done for you. You tell them the way that God has rescued you. You tell them the way that God has saved you. You can tell them about the way that you were once enslaved, but now you're free. 
Same message that we can say. Same message that we could tell people. Once I was enslaved to sin, once I was held deeply in, in the throes of, of death, and then Jesus came. And Jesus set me free. And I have been, been rescued and I've been saved. And so what we begin to, to see is once again, willpower is not enough. It's not enough to grip, grit our teeth and hope to obey. That there is something fundamental inside of us that has to change. And the reality of the scriptures, the call of the gospel, is that Jesus is the one who does that changing. That God is the one who changes us. Romans 12, 2. It's this beautiful passage. It says, do not copy the patterns or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So we change the way we think by, by not copying what our world does, by not copying the patterns and the behaviors of a, of a world, but we allow God to change us into a new people. The book of Ezekiel gives this beautiful picture of, of not just behavior modification in our lives. It's not just doing the right things. But Ezekiel says, I will remove your stony heart and give you a, a new heart, a heart of flesh, a soft heart. So inward and outward obedience flows from complete transformation. The only way that you can hope to be a person who's obedient is to be obedient to Jesus and his call to follow him. The only way that we can hope to be people of obedience is to have our inside, our hearts, completely and radically transform not just my, my actions, but my thoughts, my motives, my, my everything. And as we look through the, through the scriptures, we see Jesus' obedience on the cross. We see when Jesus was obedient. In a Roman, or, uh, Philippians 2, verse 8, it says, Jesus became obedient to death even death on a cross. This is one of the most beautiful places that we see, see obedience take place. And so when we think about the cross, maybe, maybe when you think about that, you think about the obedience, you think about it's Jesus' sacrifice, right? Like we think about obedience and we think about cross and we think about Jesus, but here's the thing. One third of all cross talk in the Gospels is not about Jesus, but it's about us. It's about us picking up our cross. It's about us dying daily. It's about us doing the things to follow Jesus that we are called to do. One third of all cross talk in the Gospels is about us carrying our cross, being obedient to Jesus. And Philippians 2 says our attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus. Jesus was obedient, so we are obedient. And when Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus died on the cross, it saved us from our sins. And here's the reality that we see play out in the Scriptures is when we pick up our cross, when we die, we help save society from their sins because we point them to the man on the cross who saved them from their sins. We show them what Jesus has done. So when we're obedient and we pick up our cross, we start to see, we start to show the world what God is like and we point them to, to our Father. Here's the reality, is that obedience and obeying, it brings about God's reality into the world. It creates, it helps us to be the people that we were always made to be. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have rescued us, that you've saved us. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have been obedient to, to death, even death on a cross. As we get ready to move into a time of, of communion, we, we remember 
we celebrate what you have done for us through Jesus. We celebrate the way that, that you were obedient so that we could be free and we could be saved and we could be made right with you. And Lord, we're just grateful for the way that you've, you've moved and you've worked. God, I just pray that you will compel us, you will help us to be obedient to you. Lord, the only possible way that we can be obedient to you is saying yes to you, saying yes to following you, saying yes to, to living for you, to allow you to transform our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you will you allow us to transform everything within us, the, what, the way we talk, the way we act, the, what we do. And, and Lord, that you're, we can just align our lives with you. And Father, we thank you for the way that you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what we're going to do here in just a second is Caden is going to play a song for us. And, and during this time, what I want you to do is you can go up to the back. If you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to take communion with us. So go to the back, grab the juice, grab the cracker, take them back to your seat. You can sing along, and then at the end of the song, we'll, we'll go through a time of, of communion with one another. So while he's playing 10,000 Reasons, feel free to go ahead and, and grab your communion. <laughs>